0: Endorsed by National Geographic Travel as a top winter trip and by Bloomberg as one of the hottest tourist destinations in 2017, Sri Lanka is well known for its rich cultural heritage and its breathtaking natural beauty. But what lies beneath the surface? Scars from war that lasted 30 years. Millions living below the poverty line unable to feed their children even one square meal a day. Nearly 10,000 reported cases of child abuse a year and countless more unreported cases due to cultural restraints. Over 921 documented cases of church attacks, church closures, demonstrations, intimidations, physical attacks, hate speech, discrimination, threats, false allegations, abductions, and violence against Christians. (laughs) Yet, God has placed People's Church in Sri Lanka for such a time as this. We work with over 7,500 children every year, bringing hope where there was none before. We also work with abused children and people affected by HIV AIDS through our Rays of Hope and Red Ribbon Ministries. During the floods of 2017, we were able to come to the aid of nearly 20,000 victims. We also minister to widows, the visually impaired and those who are sick in hospital. In December 2017, we touched the lives of 2,500 prison inmates. Not even 2% of Sri Lanka's population has a born-again personal relationship with Jesus. This is why we are passionate about establishing a Christian witness in every corner of our nation. We currently have 756 house churches in our network. Our goal is to have 5,000 house churches by the year 2020. To this end, we are setting up six training centres to train our house church planters. Our hearts are filled with all that God has in store for us to do in 2018. We want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for standing with us during some of our most difficult times. Together, We know we can touch Sri Lanka with the healing hope of Jesus.
1: Let's try this. Good morning. Boy, these switches sure do work. God is good. And I'm happy to be here. And I thank God for the privilege of being with you here in your beautiful city and in this church. And uh, my daughter and I, we came in on Friday. We flew and had breaks. I think it took us about 30 hours to get here. But it's good. It's cold, but it's good. (laughs) And I heard it's not too cold for you. Well, when you want to thaw, please come to Sri Lanka. Um, God is good. Just to give you a little bit more of what you saw on the video. If some, some people may not know where Sri Lanka is. It's on the southern tip of India. It's an island. It's 270 miles north-south, 150 miles east-west, 22 million people. And it's a predominantly Buddhist country, and then Hindus. And uh, born-again Christians, we don't even have 2%. Uh, we have over 98% not, not, not saved. But God has given us a task. As you saw, we, uh, we had a, um, let me tell you some of the good things we d- do have. We have the best tea in the world. You laugh. Ceylon tea. Ceylon was the British name. How many of you had Ceylon tea? Few of you. Okay. I want to tell you all of the rest of you, you haven't had tea. Ceylon tea is the best tea in the world. Now you may not agree. It's okay. I'm the preacher today, and I say it's the best tea in the world. And um, but lately we've had the best form of terrorism in the world. Uh, we had a war going on for almost 30 years of terrorism. And why they called it the best form is you know, in terrorism if you're not looking for a way of escape, you're looking to destroy and then give your life. And as a suicide bomber. Um, you know, then, then, then you can almost always, they say, succeed. Well, Sri Lanka had the most number of suicide bombers. But we thank God that after almost 30 years, the few years ago, the guns were finally silenced and the bloodshed was stopped. But then the persecution of the church continued. Uh, we have had like 920-something churches attacked, burnt down, cell leaders beaten, um, you know, and even pastors have been killed uh, in the east of Sri Lanka. We had a pastor and his young wife and their 10-year-old child. They went visitation on a motorcycle. At 8 o'clock at night, they came back and they pulled the bike and parked it. And another motorcycle came with two guys on helmets, fully covered. They shot the pastor, shot the wife. He died on the spot in front of their 10-year-old son. And the wife, the bullet missed her spinal column by about two millimeters. And uh, they couldn't get it out, but today she limps But she pastors the church. And, uh, you know, I'm just saying this to let you know that some of the dark things that happen you may hear. But I'm going to tell you what you don't hear. What you don't hear is that Jesus Christ is alive in Sri Lanka. And God is moving in power and might. And I come here to tell you that because I am a direct result of what you have done through missions. You know, um, I normally don't get to preach at uh, missions conventions because I'm not a missionary. I'm a national pastor. and uh, But I'm happy Pastor Aaron brought me in because I just want to tell you, you know, sometimes you come for a meeting like this and you're saying, oh, here we go again, another missions. Here they'll tell a few stories, show some pictures, and then they hit us up for the money, right? Uh, but I want to tell you, this is what you're praying, you're giving, and you're sending has done. When you sent for missions, my grandfather's life was transformed. And then my father's. And then something happened in our nation. They stopped sending the missionaries. The government came in and stopped all the missionary visas for the Assemblies of God. And we had about eight churches with my father, one of them. And they had to swim or drown. And they decided to swim. I want to tell you today, we have over 500 established churches. Thousands of believers, although we are still... Not even 2% save. At least we have God moving in power and might. Why we are persecuted is because they are afraid that what they see happening is going to take over. And I want to tell you, we are going to take over. We are going to do what God has for us to do. And God is going to move in power and might. So I just come here to tell you, thank you. You know, you may not even understand what. You may not even know what you have done. But thank you. Because of you, today we are sending missionaries. We are planting mission churches. By 2020, we should have 5,000 house churches around areas that have never had one witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you for what you have done. Um, you know, I, if I was asked you a question, sometimes you wonder, after you meet Jesus Christ and you're saved in your life, your sins are forgiven and, and, and you're transformed, you know, you wonder why God allowed us to remain here on earth. Why didn't God take me the moment I got saved? I know you may not ask that question, but I do. I wish God took me the moment I got saved. You know why? Because if I'm anywhere going to heaven, if he took me, my chances of backsliding would be zero. Now, you don't worry about that because you're good. But, you know, with me, it's different. And, and, and you know, some people say, you know, I don't go to heaven because I'm saved. And now I got to mature. So God wants to mature me. So I want to tell you, you don't need maturity to go to heaven. You just need God's grace and salvation. So why mature? Why come Sunday after Sunday? Why listen to a sermon? Why go for life classes? Why get, uh, read books? And why do seminars and listen to DVDs? Why get mature? Because I'll tell you why. Because maturity is not about heaven. Maturity is for earth. And what you will do here in ministry. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Maturity is for now. Think about it. You know, in our church, I tell the worship guys, they're really good. They practice two hours, three hours, you know, week. And it's good. And I love it. And we need to do that. And they get everything right. and And... Uh, but, but you know, worship, we will do it here. We are practicing here because what we are going to do there forever. Fellowship, we fellowship here, but we will be fellowshipping forever there. We'll have ministry to each other here and there. There is one thing we will only do here. And if we miss it here, we'll never do it again. And that is evangelism. That is telling somebody else about Jesus. That is introducing Jesus to someone else. Because when you get to heaven, my friend, everybody knows him. I, I, you know, sometimes I wonder in our church why we have weekly practice for worship, but we don't have a weekly 20 minutes for sharing Christ with somebody else. Maybe we've got it a little mixed up. You see, in God's word, God makes a covenant with the world of the lost. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 17. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, Isaiah 41, it'll come on the screens, I think. But let me pray for a minute, do you mind? Father, speak to our hearts clearly, let Dishan decrease and the Holy Spirit increase. Give listening ears, receptive hearts, change us according to your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Isaiah 41, 17 says, when the poor and needy search for water, and there is none and their tongues are parched from thirst, then I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will never abandon them. You know, God promises the world that is lost. Over half the world hasn't had one adequate message of the gospel. While we keep feeding the same people over and over and over again. Even in Sri Lanka, sometimes we're feeding the fed. We're feeding those who have heard. So what do we do? We have to change the carpet. We have to get more modern equipment. We have to do something different because we are feeding the fed. While half the world will take the crumbs. They'll take anything that we leave for them because they haven't had one adequate message of the gospel. You know, coming from my part of the world, I come from one of the poorest countries in the world, you wonder, is God fair? Is God fair that some have so much And some have nothing. I want to tell you, coming from Sri Lanka, God is fair. How many can say amen? God is fair. You know why God is fair? Because to whom much is given, much is required. You see, God sees you fit. God has you here for a plan. God has you here for a clear purpose. You're not here by accident. You were not in coming to America. Whichever way you came or born here, it doesn't matter. It was not by accident. God knows. God created only one of you. You know, there has never been you before you, and there will never be a you after you. There's only one of you. Because God wanted you, and he wanted you the way you are. He wanted you with your background. He wanted you through all your struggles. He still wanted you. Friend, listen to me. God has a plan for you. And God's plan for you is so specific. God wants you and I to meet the cry of the needy. I remember when the tsunami hit us a few years ago, the Asian tsunami. You know, it was Christmas Day. We had painted the building. We had got all the singing right, all the practices. Everything was great. And suddenly on the 26th, when the tsunami hit, in three minutes, we lost 50,000 people. Mainly children and infants. And you know, I I just began to open my eyes. God opened my eyes. You know, I wanted the music just right. I wanted the building just like. I want everything to do to, to happen the way planned. And those are good things. Don't get me wrong. We should not be shabby in the kingdom. Amen? We should be good. But... 50,000 people were snatched in three minutes. 99% of them did not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. You see, sometimes we get it mixed up. We are so good at measuring on the minors. We are so good at doing all the things that actually don't really matter. While missing out the one thing that does matter. And that is God keeps us here on earth without taking us to heaven the moment we get saved because somebody has to hear the gospel through you and through me. They'll never come to church. They'll never read the Bible. But you will be the only Bible that they read. You see, that's why I'm happy your church is doing missions because in the word of God, it says when the poor and needy cry for water, God says, I will hear them. I will answer them. You know, in John chapter 4, we have the problem of why we don't do what we do. In John chapter 4, the woman at the well, you remember the story, the Samaritan woman, she came from Samaria. The Bible says she came to a place called Syka to draw water. Why would you come from Samaria to Syka to draw water? Now, you don't have wells, I, I don't think, here. We have wells still in our villages. And every morning, the women's conference happens at the well. All right? And the woman walks four miles, not by car. She walks four miles to draw water. Why? I realize it's because of women's conference. You know, I, I'm reading into the word, okay? This is not there in the Bible, but I know it's four miles. That part's true. Because I know my part of the world is still like that. So what happens? But she can't because at the women's conference in Samaria, round the well, what happens? Oh, you know that she's married three times, man. And now, oh, you're too late. It's four now. Oh, no, no, it's five. The sixth one she's not even living with now. Don't let your kids play with her kids. She's rejected. She's despised. And she's put away. So she walks four miles to draw water. Then she sees Jesus sitting at the well. And she says, do you want some? You don't even have a bucket. Do you want water? And he says, I will give you water to drink that you will never thirst again. Transforms her life. She leaves her bucket. She goes to Samaria. She goes to where she has been rejected. Where she's an outcast. Because her life is transformed. And she goes and tells them, come, you need what I have found. I have found Jesus. While they're coming, the disciples come back in John chapter 4. And the disciples say, hey, master, we went to buy you lunch. That's the only place you'll find in the world where 12 people go out to buy lunch for one man. Only in the Bible. And while they were out to lunch, basically really out to lunch, this miracle happens. And when they come back, they said, master, you eat. And they say, he says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of my father. And while they're talking, Jesus sees the Samaritan woman coming and the hordes of Samaritans, the Gentiles, following a first Gentile missionary in the Bible. They're coming. Then Jesus looks at these disciples who are more worried about lunch Maybe some of you are already worried about your lunch. And you know what he says in John 4.35? He says, lift up your eyes and see. Why lift up? Because most of the time we are like this. Me, my children, my career, my thing tomorrow. You know, most people when they look down like this, they see their toes. I see my stomach. (laughs) It's about me, what I want. He says, lift up your eyes and see the harvest is ready. I'm here to challenge you because you came and gave me the gospel. You sent the missionary. We got saved. And I'm sad that when I come back sometimes to the country that brought me the gospel, I don't see what I see. And I don't see what you taught us. And I am here to challenge you and say thank you for what you did. And to challenge you again to lift up your eyes And see, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. I want to tell you there is nobody like you. You know, God doesn't anoint buildings. He doesn't anoint television screens. He doesn't anoint microphones and musical instruments. God only anoints men and women. My friend, you are God's man. You are God's woman. You are the plan of God. God has no other plan except through men and women. That's why he anoints men and women. He says, when the poor and needy cry out, I will answer them. How, God? How will you meet the needs? Let's look at the next verse. Isaiah 41, verse 18. It says, I will open up rivers for them on the high plateaus. I will give them fountains in the valleys. I will fill the desert with pools of water. Rivers fed by springs will flow across the parched land. Verse 19, I will plant trees in the barren desert. Cedar, acacia, myrtle, olive, cypress, fir, and pine. When the poor and needy cry out, God says, I will hear them. I will reach out. I'll meet their need. How? I will plant trees. Life, church, you are the planting of the Lord. You are the tree God wants to plant. That's why you're saved. That's why he has given you so much. It's not to just exist and go into retirement and then say, oh, what a great life. No, God has a plan for you. God created you for his plan and his purpose. How many can say amen? Are you with me? You see, God has a plan. God keeps you. He keeps me. Because God wants to send you and me. You're the planting of the Lord. You're the springs. In John chapter 7, it says, Out of your bellies shall flow springs of living water. I want to tell you, there are no superstars in the kingdom of God. Some people run after men. Some people run after that man of God and this man of God. I want to tell you, stop running after that man of God and run after God. Because God has a plan for you. I don't have a special anointing and you don't have a second grade anointing. We are all the same. We just have different roles. Because there are no superstars in the kingdom. God has a plan for you. God wants to use you. We have to stop reaching the reached. We have to stop reaching the fed. And we have to do what needs to be done. Let me close with this story in First Kings. When I said let me close, I can see some of you are relieved. <laughs> well, you don't know me. I close about eight times. <clears throat> in First Kings chapter 17, if you have your Bibles, you can turn, right? If not, I'll just tell you the story if you, if, you, if you trust me with that, right? In First Kings chapter 17, before we get into what I'm going to read, there was a curse on the land. There was a famine, there was no food and no water. Elijah, the prophet, was worried what to do. God said, you go to the brook. I'll send the water through the brook. I'll get the ravens to feed you. So God takes care of Elijah. But then time came, the brook goes dry, the ravens stop coming. Elijah is all huffed and puffed. And God says, no, Elijah, listen to me. You're starving, you're hungry, you have nothing. I have commanded a woman in the town of Zarephath. I want you to go to Zarephath and I've commanded the woman to take care of you. So what does Elijah do? He goes. And I will catch it here in, in 1 Kings 17 verse 10. He arrived at the gates of the village and he saw the woman gathering sticks. And he asked her, would you please bring me a cup of water? And she turns to bring water. He says, oh, just a minute. Can you bring me some bread too? And she says, listen, sir, all I have is one handful of flour, a little oil at the bottom of the barrel. I'm going to make one last piece of bread or cake or in Sri Lanka we say roti. I'm going to make this one thing and then my child and I will eat it. We will die. And then Elijah says, no, God told me he commanded you. If you do what God commanded you, the oil will never run out and the flour will never uh, uh, be finished. Do what God has commanded you. Now, I, I tell you this story quickly because I want to draw a parallel. The parallel is Elijah, hungry, thirsty, no food, dying, is the world of the lost. Is a people without the gospel. Half the world that has had one adequate message of the gospel. And then the woman is the church. The woman is life church. The woman is people's church. And God tells the lost, I will hear you. So let's look at this scenario for a moment. So Elijah comes. He's starving. He's famished. He's thirsty. He sees the woman gathering sticks. He says, hey lady, hey lady, please, I am dying of thirst. Can you give me some water? And the lady looks at him and says, yes, sir, just a minute, I'll do that. And she turns and she goes because at the back of her tent, there's probably a barrel of water and she has enough water. So she goes to get water out of what she has enough of. And when she turns, Elijah says, hey, lady, lady, please wait. Can you bake me some bread? Can you give me some bread? Then the church, then the lady says, sir, If you want water, okay, because I have enough. But if you want bread, I only have enough for me and my son. I have to say no. Then Elijah says, but lady, the Lord told me, he commanded you to give me the bread. And then he goes on and he says, God has made a promise that if you do what he says, you will never be without you see, Elijah represents the world of the lost. The lady is the church. And you know what the church is saying today? Oh, yeah, I'll give you my leftover. I'll give you out of my abundance, out of my blessing. But if you want me to sacrifice, if you want to do more, if you want, and you, I have to give up, I'm sorry, I have to say no. You know, friend, I, I, I don't know why I'm speaking this message to you. I want you to know I'm not a direct part of your missions. It's not I don't come here and raise any funding. But I want to bring you a message that I bring to my people. That God wants not only the water. He wants the bread. He has kept you for last days. For such a time as this. You know, it's, it's in the giving. It's in the doing. It's in becoming what God wants us to be that we become the most content and happiest people we can ever be. And God is saying, I want the bread also. The lady almost did not come through. You know, something that really came out of this whole meditation was, the widow was caught in the curse of the land. She had no food and no water. And she had just the leftovers, the last bit. You see, God did not need the woman to feed Elijah. Because God did ravens. God could have done parrots for all I care. God could have done anything, right? He didn't need the woman. But why did he use the woman? Because he broke the curse in her life. Are you with me? He broke the curse in her life. When she reached out to do what God had commanded her to do, the oil never ran dry. The flour was never uh, never stopped. Let me read first Kings 17:14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says there will always be plenty of flour and oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain on the crops again. Isaiah 17:16, for no matter how much they use, they are always. Enough left in the containers. You see, God wants to take what we have and use it. The great missionary, Jim Elliot, went to translate the Bible for the Alka Indians. The same Indians killed him. Before he died, Jim Elliot said this, He is not a fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The great missionary statesman, Oswald Smith, says this. No man has a right to hear the gospel twice when millions haven't even heard it once. You see, why do we hear so much? I hear it, you hear it. Why? Because to whom much is given, much is required. You see, God is is asking you to do what you can do. You know, some, some some people, God, may have to die for the kingdom. I don't think God is asking you to die for him, at least not yet. But he's asking you to live for him, to stand up for him. I had a friend, we were the same age, and we were 26 at that time. And uh, he was a priest in another religion. And somebody threw uh, gospel tracts into his temple. And he was searching for for true meaning he had empty religion and he read this tract about Jesus and he gave his heart to Jesus came out gave up his robes and he got saved then he wanted to do more he went to Bible school he came out of Bible school and he said I don't want to just go and work in a church I want to go to the deep south in Sri Lanka and I want to plant a church because there is no church in the whole district and he went very very dangerous area he couldn't have church and service, and Sunday he would have been killed. So he started one-to-one, sharing Christ with everybody he could. Then he got married, and then he had a baby, and the baby was about nine months old, and he now had witnessed to about 300 people in three years. He decided to start a service on Sunday. So Sunday he started a service, and there was between 10 and 15 people for a few months. When this happened, the the village got stirred up. So he took a bus and did an eight-hour journey back to the city to where my father and I were. I was living with my parents at that time. And uh, uh, he came to our home, and he sat, and he said, told my dad, he said, Pastor, you know, God, uh, I mean, uh, uh, the village is stirred up. The chief priest had a meeting, and they said Christianity was a little plant. We could have plucked it with our fingers, But now we have allowed it to grow and now it has become a big tree. And he said, now the priest said that they want to axe the tree down. My father said, you know what that means? They're going to kill you. He said, you go bring your wife, bring your baby. Come to the city. Stay with us till things cool down. Then you can go back. He said, I can't do that. God has called me. I have people there. I have to go. That night he slept on my bed. The next morning he got up and he went on the long journey. About three or four days after he went back at eight o'clock at night, he was playing with his baby when he heard a knock on the door. He went to the door. There were two men. They said, Pastor, can we speak to you? He said, just a minute. He went to the back room and he gave his baby to his wife and he came and he opened the door. As soon as he opened the door, one man took a homemade gun, put it in his mouth and pulled the trigger. Because it was a homemade gun, he didn't die, but his mouth exploded. He held his mouth together and he ran to the back room. The other man followed up with a knife and stabbed him many times until he gave his life for the work of Jesus Christ in the south. You know, when the funeral came, we didn't know what to do. All our lives came to a standstill. When we were going up for the funeral, our denomination, the Assemblies of God, they stopped us in mid journey and they took all the young pastors out and put us in a room in a hotel said stay here we are going to go the older ones because if something happens at least you guys are there to continue with the work cutting a long story short the wife said i want to pastor this church the organization said no you're not trained and all that so we said we will take her under our wing and we'll train her on the run And she began to pastor. Three years later, I went for the, I was in charge of the South at that time. I went for the memorial service. And after a big service, there was lunch. And we were having lunch. And and the wife began to tell me, she said, Pastor, before my husband died, he said it was God's will for us to move. But he didn't know where we were moving. She said, but I now know he was moving to be with Jesus. She said, you know, the same murderers who killed my husband have sent me a message saying, if I don't stop doing what I'm doing, that the same thing that they did to my husband, they will do to me. But she said, it was God's will for my husband to go. It's God's will for me to stay. So I sent them a message back. I said, you know what? It was God's will for my husband to go to be with Jesus, but it's God's will for me to stay. So even if you want to kill me, you can't touch me till my Jesus says, come home. I want to tell you today, we don't have one church in the deep south. We have over 10 churches in the south. We have hundreds of believers. We have kids in Bible school right now training to come out for the gospel amidst all the persecution. Oh, it's still dangerous. So many things, but nobody can stop the church of Jesus Christ. Because when somebody is willing to do what God wants them to do, that's the best way to live. Some people are so worried about dying. They have blood pressure. They go to five doctors. They spend $50,000 and they say, Oh, praise the Lord. Now I am healed. After five years, $50,000 and five doctors. And then they cross the street and a car knocks them down. I mean, look at life. My friend, life, we don't know life. He's the only one who knows the beginning and knows the end. Nobody can touch me. My daughter is with me. She's another generation. She just got a master's in counseling from Regent University and decided they're not leaving the country. They're there because God has to win Sri Lanka for Jesus. You see, because God has a plan. And you know what? God is looking for a man. He's looking for a woman. I want you to pray this year. When you give and when maybe God is calling you to go. And if God is calling you to go, giving won't suffice. It's time for you to say, yes, Lord, I'll do something. You know, I don't know whether I said this in this service already. I I get confused in services. But somebody said, you can count the number of seeds in an orange but you cannot count the number of oranges that come out of one seed. You see, when you sow that one seed, when you do, you don't know. We are four generations saved because you gave to missions. But you see, God is calling you to do whatever you need to do. Will there be anyone in heaven because of you? Will there be anyone in heaven because of you? All we have to do is say, Lord, take me, use me. I'd like you to bow your heads, please. I want you to say, Lord, help me not to just give the water. Help me to give the bread. The bread may be fulfilling that call God has placed on your life. Maybe beyond giving more sacrificially.